the Ghost Goal Podcast. Arsenal got a Liverpool-sized monkey off their back with a 3-2 win at the Emirates after a late penalty from Bukayo Saka sealed their first league win over the Reds since July of 2020. As Liverpool's season devolved further into panic, their rivals for the top four, Chelsea, Tottenham and Manchester United all sealed wins to grow the gap further, while Liverpool themselves await a visit from Manchester City next Sunday at Anfield. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 375. Javier, huge win for your boys. Uh, I'm going to put into more context a little bit later about you know how meaningful that win against Liverpool specifically is for for you guys. But you know, give us your own account of uh, you know what that means to you at this point of the season. Well, it got Pierce Morgan to uh, finally buy into Arteta, Alex. Of all of the haters, the haters that there, there's been the fact you even care about his I don't, opinion is. But he's uh, been the number one touter like against Arteta. And like beating Liverpool was like he was just like all right I have to believe in you now like it, it's a like it's been a long time uh, probably since the, like the mid two thousands when I was talking about that team that that Arsenal went to Champions League semi final two thousand seven two thousand eight the fan base hasn't been behind the the coach the players you know even the ownership. Even the ownership, I would say this is the most harmonious Arsenal has been as a whole in 15, 16, 17 years since David Dean was still at the club, um, since, you know, the Wenger, David Dean and before Kroenke and Usmanov had their their whole bidding war and Kroenke eventually won. At that point, when we were still at Highbury, you know, there was a raucous atmosphere at Highbury all the time. It was a fortress. It was a nightmare to come to that stadium. And I would say... Pretty much the entire existence of the Emirates, there really hasn't... There's been times where we've been really good at home. I think only losing one game at home, getting a few draws here and there, and, and like had really good seasons under Wenger at home. But it never felt like... There was always teams that like were like bottom of like near the bottom of the league or like a mid-table that would come to the Emirates and just like try to try to fuck with us and like, you know, bully us. And, and sometimes they would get results. And for once, it feels like that's not going to be the case in the future. Like... It feels like every team fears going to the Emirates now. You know, it. the atmosphere was incredible. Um, the way that we got behind the team two minutes into the game, you know, that Martinelli goal, beautiful goal, just amazing. I mean, it was too easy, though. It was like, I almost knew we were going to win the game as soon as we scored that because of how, the ease of, you know, the way that Odegaard was able to just slip through, you know, the, Ben White. It, just the way that we were able to carry the ball easily through Liverpool and Henderson and Thiago just didn't didn't close the gaps, fill the space, and and, and make tackles. You know, Trent Alexander Arnold got caught in his heels. Van Dyke. It, it's just like the whole team. Van Dyke's been. I don't want to say horrible, but he's been bang average so far this season. Um, and it feels like I've I've been reading things about Liverpool fans saying that maybe he's saving himself for the World Cup or who knows, but. You know, it didn't feel like Liverpool's backline at any point in time could stop what we were doing. Um, and while Liverpool were always a threat, I don't know about that. For for the rest of the rest of the first half, yeah, okay. So the rest Liverpool of the first were, half, after we scored that good. goal, I mean, we kind of 
Yeah, it, Liverpool were pretty good, and we kind of went into a little bit of a shell, which I didn't like. You know, that early goal kind of, we, we defended the lead a little bit. Um, and Liverpool definitely deserved the equalizer. And then I thought that goal right before halftime, that was just kind of a, a sucker punch because I didn't really see it coming. I thought it was going to be 1-1 at halftime. Huge goal. Huge, huge moment in the game to get that 2-1 at halftime because when we came out in that second half, for 45 straight minutes, we dominated Liverpool, which I haven't seen Arsenal do in, again, since like... <laughs> You know, uh, I mean, I'll I'll give you the context for it right now if you want. Uh, I mean, the reason I think it's such a huge win for you guys specifically over Liverpool is because it's the first time you guys have beaten Liverpool during the like the peak of this Klopp era that it's been like a legitimate win against Liverpool. That last win that I mentioned in October of uh, or sorry. Uh, July of 2020. That was uh, after the lockdown for COVID. Liverpool wrapped up the league that season. Uh, I think two games after uh, all the the league games came back, Chelsea beat Manchester City, and then that sealed the title mathematically for Liverpool. After that point, that was during Arsenal's like really good run, where you beat Liverpool at home in the league in a game that meant nothing to them behind closed doors at the Emirates. and then you beat Manchester City in the FA Cup semi-final, and then Chelsea in the FA Cup final right after that. So, yes, that is a win over Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, but like it was a dead rubber for them. Liverpool didn't weren't really you know asked to go and win that game. It seemed like every other time, you know, during these peak years of Jurgen Klopp's reign, they just ended up destroying you guys, and it would feel like. Uh, it was a pretty good performance for Arsenal if you were even still in the game with 10 to 20 minutes left to go. So to have such a comprehensive uh, win over Jurgen Klopp's side, uh, it's, it's you know, I, I said it was a getting a monkey off your back for a reason. It's sort of like a weight lifted from the club. And even though Liverpool, you know, again, aren't at their best this season in particular, a lot of the names are still there. Uh, so yeah, and you still had to deal with a very attack-minded Liverpool team that they they gave up a midfielder so that they could add an extra attacker and um, you know try and play a bit yeah, more we direct. Ke- we kept a team of Salah, Mane, Yota. No, no Mane. Mane Nune- wasn't there. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, not Mane. Yota, uh, oh, Nunez. Uh, you know, Firmino came on. Salah, Diaz. It was like five, their five, front five all played against Arsenal and we kept them to three shots on target, two of which they scored. And, and Yeah, but in a way, it almost paid off for them. They still got two goals from just being extremely, you know... It didn't really like pay ruth, off. For ruthless like they, with those chances. They, were they scored to, twice. Yeah. They scored twice from those chances. Sure, they, they, almost got a, they almost they got scored, a 2-2. They scored twice, but they really didn't create much outside of that. You know, their two goals were basically mistakes, both from Gabriel... Um, it, it, it really, I, I, I say it a lot every week and it, it's tough to, I don't want to criticize Gabriel too much because we're so, on such a good run and everyone's playing so well. Uh, he lost, uh, he lost Darwin Nunez, uh, for the first goal. I'm pretty sure, but Saliba went out to, uh, to challenge the cross from Diaz and Diaz, I think like nutmegged Saliba with the cross, put it through his legs and Gabriel just hadn't properly tracked Darwin back. So Darwin yeah, I mean, was able the, to finish. For the first goal, I wouldn't say it was like completely Gabriel's fault. You know, I'd say Saliba had a, had a lot of fault too. Um, 
I think Odegaard lost the ball in possession. There was a lot of errors in the first goal, but the second goal, first of all, there was questions of Nunez being offside because the reason why Gabriel like tried to take the ball out of the air is because he was trying to take the ball from Nunez, who was right next to him, who was offside and involved in the play. But it's it's one of those borderline calls that I get why they didn't call it. So I'm not, you know. I'm but it's gonna... also it's also just a nice like pass from Jota and a nice finish from Firmino, like. Uh... Again, that's why I'm saying Liverpool had like some success putting out those extra forwards because you know Jurgen Klopp is kind of just admitting defeat in midfield with that decision and saying, "All right, let's put our best you know playmakers and goal scorers on all at the same time. So whatever few chances we do create, we've got a better chance of converting them." We we've got to talk about the Arteta just kind of crazy decision that no one saw coming. Started basically four center backs. Um, you know, Tomiyasu at left back and Ben White at right back. And both of them were just fantastic the entire game. Tomiyasu absolutely locked up Mohamed Salah. It, it literally, even in the first half after we scored 15 minutes in, every single time Mohamed Salah got the ball, he would not try to take on Tomiyasu. He would just go backwards, pass it back, pass back to Trent, pass back to Van Dyke, And it was like four or five, six times in a row that he did that. And then at that point, like, you knew Salah just wasn't going to do anything. That, like, he gave up. He just gave up on trying to go at Tomiyasu. And how often do you see a game that's in the balance? 2-2. It was 2-2 at this point, and And Mohamed Salah got dragged off. Like uh, Not many, but that's, but that's why it's... Uh, I don't think it's just specific to this uh, Liverpool-Arsenal game. It's been an issue this season for Mohamed Salah. And... You know, it, it brings you back to the decision to let Mane go. And, you know, out of the two of those, you know, star front players for Liverpool these last few seasons, both of them, their contracts were running down uh, at the end of this current season. They made the decision to, you know, give the big uh, contract to Mohamed Salah, their, their main goal scorer, and sell uh, Sadio Mane to bring in younger, uh, fresher pieces to replace him. And it's it's not a mystery. They've they've struggled to make up for that energy that Mane provides, not just with his runs in behind, uh, but you know the selfless work tra- uh, tracking back. Salah, like he he does display the energy to do that, but he is a goal scorer first and foremost. And anyone who you know, you know makes their living in this sport off of you know how many goals they score over the span of a season in a single game. That, that you you don't want that player having to use their energy tracking back and helping a player like Trent Alexander Arnold. So um, it's it's going to be a tough uh, overall sort of transition for them to figure this out. And it may may be that like a player like Jota or you would think Luis Diaz, but now he's injured and going to miss the next ten games supposedly. So. Uh, th- that's the kind of player you would want to step in and fill that th- that sort of void of energy in the front line. And they're just not getting that in the same way that uh, Mane provided it, which is unfortunate. But I, I guess we all you you, you kind of saw this coming. You were you were talking about it at the beginning of the season. Um, it, it's it's going to take uh, a big shift for uh, Jurgen Klopp to, to figure something out to get their season back on track. Um, but let's uh, let's move on elsewhere because uh, we do have to talk a little bit about that Liverpool Manchester City game at the end of uh, at the end of the pod. So we'll, we'll mention a little bit more about them in a second. Uh, let's move on to uh, Chelsea 
first home game under Graham Potter in the Premier League. Uh, we beat Wolves 3-0 at home. Uh, it's It was a good week last week. They, Chelsea also got a win in the Champions League uh, at home against AC Milan 3-0 to uh, get the Champions League campaign back on track. But I don't think anyone should get too ahead of themselves yet because, uh, you know, you can kind of make excuses uh, for both those matches. That, that that AC Milan team last Wednesday and then Wolves on Saturday, they were both very badly affected by uh, injuries, by uh, suspensions for Wolves. They were missing uh, Neves and Nathan Collins for, for that Chelsea game. So, Frankly, it was like a, it was like a training exercise for us. We rested seven players. Didn't start any out, any of the players out of uh, Silva, uh, Aubameyang, Sterling, Kovacic, uh, Reese James started on the bench and came on for the last twenty minutes when the game was already in hand. It, it was it was an easy win against Wolves, who had just fired uh, Bruno Lage and you know didn't didn't look any better with the caretaker manager uh, for for this single game. So. I'm not going to get too ahead of myself uh, with this one, though it is nice to start getting multiple goal wins and clean sheets at home uh, again. I, I don't think Chelsea had scored three goals at home since like January of this year or something. So it had been a while. Um, but, you know, we'll check in again after this uh, AC Milan away game uh, tomorrow. So that that result will probably be final by the time you guys are listening to uh, I mean, this. In the, in the league, Chelsea in the last five games are uh, the same as Arsenal, four wins and, and one loss. So you guys are in good form in the league. Even though you haven't been, like, firing on all cylinders, you've been getting the results. So, I mean, Chelsea haven't really been tested too much. I know you played Spurs. That's what I'm saying. So, I'm saying this AC Milan yeah, game at home is going to be the test. Because we, we've seen a team like Inter in Serie A be terrible leading up to that Barcelona home game last week, while Barcelona had been almost flawless in, in La Liga. Uh, and then Inter beat them 1-0. Uh, you know, the, the San Siro is a magical place. AC Milan will have players like Teo Hernandez back. Uh, so uh, they just beat Juventus over the weekend. Uh, Fikayo Tomori and Olivier Giroud scored in, in that game. So I think AC Milan are going to want to, you know, prove something in this San Siro game. So that, that'll be the true test of whether Graham Potter has this team actually, you know, playing as at as high of a level as it, it seems we are at the moment. So... Uh, but yeah, overall, very, very pleased with that. Let's see. Did you get to watch any of Everton Manchester United? Yeah, I watched uh, I watched a decent bit of it. It was uh, a game where Everton really got going early. They got the crowd behind. They got the first goal. Um, and then Manchester United kind of out of nowhere. Uh, Anthony just curls. Uh, he's done this now three games in a row. Left-footed curler into the corner and beautiful finish. He doesn't seem to – he doesn't affect play that much until he suddenly just beats one player and scores a goal. And it's – I mean, I'm, 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 I'm careful about a United player scoring in three back-to-back games, cutting inside and scoring curlers into the top corner because we saw Dan James do the same thing for Manchester United – at the beginning of his career and then didn't do anything again. So not saying Anthony's going to be the same. I think he's a lot yeah, better I was, than Dan James. I, I was about to say, he's clearly a lot more talented he's than Dan James He's clearly a lot is. more talented than, than Dan James. But, you know, I, I want to see more from Anthony. I want to see him become more involved in build-up. I want to see him, you know, get start creating chances for his teammates. And, you know, I think eventually players are going to, sh- you know, very soon, not eventually, they're going to start shutting down that, like, you know, cut inside cross from him or shot. 
and I, I want to see other finishes. You know, I want to see the variation to his game. So, uh, exciting start to his career. He's done well. Ronaldo getting his 700th goal, you know, came on, I think, uh, because there was a Martial injury. Um, who, by the way, Martial got the assist for the Anthony goal, got a brace in the last game for United off the bench. You know, he was doing really well, but it's it's always these injuries that stop his momentum. Whenever he seems to, like, get going, this was his first start in a long time for Manchester United. And he comes off injured in, like, the 30th minute. Just terrible for him. You know, feel got a feel for the guy. Um, but congrats to Ronaldo, you know, leading goal scorer all time, 700. 700th goal. career Great club goal. goal. Yeah. He has more, more than 800 when you add the uh, international goals. So, uh, but yeah, that, that's... Special regardless. Uh, United-Everton. I actually came out of this game with still as high of an opinion of Everton as I did going into it. Obviously, they've been flying under the radar a little bit while going unbeaten, I think it was, in uh, five games leading up to uh, this loss. But they still, like you said, they had the good start, and I think they finished the game really well. Like a, uh, a very close Manchester United fan uh, friend of ours uh, was quoted as saying he was shitting himself in the, in the last five to ten minutes of that game because Everton were just spamming crosses into the box for players like Onana, that big uh, Belgian yeah, midfielder and, uh, they, they signed. on uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin as well. Right, Calvert-Lewin, of course. Yeah, it's good to see him back. I'm sure Lampard would be very relieved to have uh, a, a proper center-forward number nine like that because earlier in the game, they were doing the same thing but trying to play it into Neil Malpai, who, you know, he's a poacher, but he's, he's not really big enough of stature to consistently get on the end of those. So... I, would, I wouldn't be too heartbroken about this if I was uh, Everton. They made a very you know good account of themselves. And uh, Manchester United were just able to take uh, a couple more of their chances than, than Everton could. So, um, and, and for Manchester United, that, that has to be like nice to just bounce back. Like, uh, you know, a little, a little bit of a, uh, uh, it wasn't like a very convincing win for Manchester United. But it was one of those after just how horrific that Manchester derby was last weekend. It, it didn't matter like the manner of how they uh, won this game. They just had to get the three points to yeah, huge bounce you know, back get people off their back. Absolutely. I mean, it seems like Tenog obviously can still take this team to so many higher levels. And Scott, you know, this was a first Casemiro start. Casemiro did give away the ball for Iwobi's first goal. For Iwobi's goal. Um, by the way, Iwobi's been player of the season for Everton, beautiful goal in this. Um, I was actually watching this game with my dad and I was telling him, you know, Iwobi's been the player of the season. Like for the, when the game was starting, I was like telling him just praising Iwobi and then he scores the goal five minutes and I was like, ah, see, I told you, Iwobi, God. <laughs> uh, but like, uh, yeah, no, I, I, Iwobi's turned into the center defensive midfielder that I never really saw him becoming, um, but he's like a box to box, but he, he does the defensive work really well. And him, Onana and uh, Davies or well, Adrissa Gay uh, or Adrissa Gay. Yeah. Whoever, you know, whoever, whoever's playing in there is a uh, great, great little midfield they have there, you know, high energy, lots of tackles, decent on the ball. Um, yeah. Physical presence, all, all of those things. So uh, yeah, Everton, not looking like they're going to be relegation form anymore. You know, definitely looks like they might be like a steady mid-table team. And um, I think for Which is a step. a good step. Absolutely. It's, it's a step, step in the right back. direction. For sure. For sure. It's still a long season, but right now they look like they have enough talent and they're they're improving enough 
every week that you can see you, you don't really see them going into relegation. Yeah, so let's hit on this uh, Tottenham win away at Brighton. Just real quick, they it was kind of an uneventful game. Uh, there was a pretty early goal from Harry Kane in the 22nd minute that he uh, deflected at the near post uh, to score the only goal of the game. And they sort of saw things out defensively from there. Um, a similar sort of vibe to this one than the Manchester United Everton one, where, you know, Brighton should still be pretty like happy with the performance overall. But uh, Conte made an even more defensive adjustment, bringing on uh, Basuma against his former club to make a midfield trio with, uh, I think it was Bentancourt and Hoiberg. So they went, Tottenham went even more defensive for a game against Brighton, knowing that Brighton, after that Liverpool performance, want to get on the ball, want to be very attack-minded and control the game with possession. Conte was, you know, more than happy to say, okay, do your best. We're going to sit back and, you know, get a clean sheet anyway and win this one, one nil. So it's, uh, you know, big it, bounce it's, back game for Tottenham because huge bounce, you know, bounce for, back game. this was an, an away game that I honestly thought they were going to drop points. I thought they just lost the North London Derby. They're going to be deflated. Brighton are going to be, you know, elated with their performance. Um, and I got to say, I mean, I thought Tottenham could have gotten more goals in this. They had, they had quite a few chances and Brighton were kind of wasteful. Um, you know, only they, but Tottenham really just defended really well and deserved the clean sheet and deserved the win, which for, for a game coming off a loss, another, uh, it's going to, it's probably going to be a a gruesome battle for top four, Tottenham, Chelsea, Liverpool. I actually think Arsenal are going to be comfortable. I mean, we'll see. But that's that's the what I've gotten out of these like first ten games. I don't obviously I don't think we're going to challenge for the title, but I kind of think we're going to be comfortably in top four, whereas like everyone else will be fucking scrapping for those last two spots, and we'll finish second like maybe fifteen or eighteen points off of City or something. So maybe like ten points off City, with like eighty five points. That'd be a nice that'd be a nice season for Arsenal. I understand being confident in your team, like I really do. But I think you, you you need to wait for that World Cup and then that that you know really tough run of the schedule in March and April. Yeah, that and we've like and like you can attest to this, and and I'm sure you at the time you thought I was just like talking shit, but like I honestly thought Arsenal could win the first ten games of the season, and I thought to you like I told I said to you like if we win these first ten games all in a row, like I'm still not going to be that hyped because of like what's to come, you know. So. Definitely take everything with a grain of salt right now, Arsenal fans, because we've got crazy hard away games coming in the second half of the season and so many things can still happen. So it's it's good to be excited. But and same with Tottenham and, and Manchester United. Like while you guys are getting results right now, you know, probably one or two injuries away from shit hitting the fan with those with those teams. So everything with a grain of salt. Yeah, we do have to mention before we move on from this uh, Tottenham-Brighton game, though, that uh, earlier today on Monday, we, we did get the sad news that uh, Brighton midfielder Inakum Wepu, it was forced to retire early. He's only 24. He's really broken into the Brighton midfield over the last you know two seasons, you would say. That's brutal. After they let Pesuma go and then, ugh, sold Kukurea. Yeah, they, they found that he, uh, that Mwepu has a hereditary heart condition that uh, it, it's not going to be safe for him to play, which uh, on the bright side, it's it's great that we've gotten to the point now where we're, we're finding these things or doctors are finding these things 
before something like Fabrice Mwamba uh, at Bolton 10 years ago. He collapsed on the field and almost died in the middle of a uh, League Cup game. Uh, it's good that it, it didn't end up as horribly as it could have ended up. Uh, so again, sad that Mwepu has to retire early after you know such a promising start to his career. Uh, but it, it could have ended so much worse. So uh, hopefully he finds you know another facet of the game that he can uh, you know uh, c- continue his career in another uh, in another way. So that's just going to make Moises Saicedo that uh, Ecuadorian midfielder they have. It's going to make him even more important to them because a lot of people were kind of looking at those two as like a pairing in midfields, like the, the amount of energy and running and. And, and frankly, like good attacking quality going forward that those two could provide. That was a scary combination for them in midfield. So we'll see how they uh, make up for the loss of Mwepu throughout this season. Yeah, no, I, that's very sad for Mwepu. I was very excited for him and his future. I thought he had just, like you said, broken into this Brighton team last season and, and looked good with scoring goals, even playing in that like number 10 role. Like you said, he brought so much energy and so much uh, excitement to this team. And yeah, just hopefully he can... He can still be part of the game and still have a career, like you said. Yeah, so moving on, uh, just real quick hit on uh, Manchester City's 4-0 win over Southampton. Uh, they got goals from Joao Cancelo, Phil Foden. Cue the uh, Imperial Death Star. Uh, no, that, we'll, we'll save that. We'll save that for when they do the same thing to Liverpool next well, week. But like Holland just <laughs> fucking scored again, dude. We all like I saw the 3-0. I was like, ah, no Holland goal for once. And he's just like, fuck you. Only a matter of time. It was only a matter of time. The the actually the the goal that I think deserves the sort of Death Star Imperial March theme uh, being played to it. No, not even. I was going to say the Mares goal, the one where Rodri just pivoted in midfield, played like a diagonal ball on a line to Mares, and he just took it first time with his left foot and put it back across goal. That was just like like when people say champagne football, talking about you know the style of football that, you know, Pep and other attacking managers like to play. That's the kind of goal that just, you know, personifies champagne football. Just a goal that you can do nothing about. It doesn't matter how good you are defensively. Like at some point, the quality of these players is going to shine through and they're going to pull off something like that. It's 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 a nightmare to play against. It's uh, more impressive than anything I saw Holland do uh, this weekend, though. You know, he... I think he did miss a chance a little bit earlier in that game that he like put off the post. So we could have had, you know, at least a brace again, but they only held him to the one this time. So yeah, uh, let me take a look at the they, table. Uh, There's still a point behind you. There's yeah, still a Pep point was behind talking you. Talking up uh, Southampton being like, you know, we didn't beat them last season. So we got to show them who's boss. And Right. Southampton managed two draws against them home and away last season. So yeah, it's, Definitely a huge one for them because I think only like three or four teams took any sort of points off Manchester City last year. Palace, Southampton, Liverpool, and Tottenham. I think those were the only four teams that took points off them last year. So they've got another one uh, coming up next week. I guess before we take we recap any other games, let's do our way too early preview. Uh, that Liverpool-Man City game will be at Anfield next Sunday, 11.30 a.m., Am I wrong to be as concerned for Liverpool as, you know, I've kind of been, you know, teasing throughout this? I really think they should be concerned about like an embarrassing loss at home against a team that like was has been their rival the last few years, but now has separated themselves so much from Liverpool. The whole Trent Alexander-Arnold 
defensive issue, it seems to be something that comes up every single week, targeted every week, you know, they concede goals from that side and it's, it's made Van Dijk, Matip, you know, they're obviously missing Robertson right now, but they're just not getting enough defensive support. And it, it's, it, it just seems hard right now to, to see where Liverpool are going to, like how they're going to keep this city team out because, Arsenal were good, but we're not nearly as clinical as City. I think creatively we can kind of get up there with them right now. We have a lot of weapons, but we don't have probably as many technical magicians as they do, like Bernardo Silva, Mares, Foden, De Bruyne, Rodri. Like they have just good like chock full of just like amazing technical talent. Arsenal have a lot of technical talent, but it's the finishers now. It, 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 that's like what's changed. Foden's finishing suddenly become fantastic. He's had some great, great goals so far this season. And then obviously Erling Holland, um, De Bruyne hasn't even need to be. De Bruyne just like seemingly doesn't even have to score goals anymore. You know, at last season he was a, a big goal outlet, scoring a bunch of goals the season before. But now he doesn't have to do that. He can focus on passing and being the creator. I think he has like double digit assists already. Something ridiculous. You know, it, it's. I just don't know what Liverpool can do. You know, I, as ridiculous as it might seem, if you really want to play Trent and make Trent useful, I don't know, maybe you bench Salah for a game, but it, it, it's almost well, like, I uh, think you have to... Went, Trent went off injured in the Arsenal game anyway, so yeah. it's you not even start, 100% uh, that he'll be you back. You have to start Bobby Firmino. I know that. he's He's been Liverpool's best player this season. He's got six goals and four assists, I think. Um, that's more than the tally he got all of last season with like three times the appearances. So, you know, right now Bobby's playing really well. He was good against Arsenal. You know, he he troubled us, got that beautiful finish. Um, I think do, you got to focus stick with the same the same sort of uh, formation and approach that they used against no, Arsenal. I, I think I think they need because... they need Fabinho back in midfield. You need to have Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago in midfield. You can't you can't do this two midfielders and four attackers or. Andrew said it's a 4-2-3-1. Like, that's not not good because the 4-2-3-1, you could see early on, like two minutes in, you know, against Arsenal. One minute in. One minute in, yeah. Diaz was running back. Diaz and Yota were running back trying to – like, why are Diaz and Yota defending, like, trying to help out Alexander-Arnold and uh, Simikas? Like, it's just – it's not going to be a recipe for success when those are your two extra defenders to help you with the overloads. City are going to find crazy overloads and just destroy Liverpool over and over again. It is going to be Anfield. There's going to be high energy. The crowd's going to be behind Liverpool. So they really need to hold on early. I think if they can get an extra, somehow get the first goal. Like it, I think it's now 10 out of the last 12 games Liverpool have conceded the first goal. Liverpool have only lost two of those games. So credit to Liverpool, like whenever they go down 1-0, even against Arsenal, twice they came back and equalized. You know, they've got that spirit in them. They've got that grit. They're still an amazing team. This is the type of game where if they can are go they and get a result. still an amazing team? Um, yes. They, this team went to the Champions League final you know, multiple times in the last few years. They won the league against an incredible City team. The talent's still there. It's just right now, like you said, there's there's pieces that aren't working right now. There's injuries. There's you know new players that are still integrating. But this is the type of game where if they can go and get a result against City, it could turn their, their season around. So I'm sure they'll be very motivated for it. And 
I don't see where it's going to come from. You know, I think City are going to win. I think Liverpool are just not not in a good enough place right now to do it. Um, and they're going to need some crazy good defensive performances. They need Fabinho to get back in this team and play well. Um, they need Van Dijk to wake up. They need Matip to be the player he was last season. And then Joe Gomez. I mean, he's probably going to start it right back. That's going to be a big difference. You know, Joe Oof. Gomez to Trent, they're going to have probably a lot better defensive player, but almost no offensive output. And Well, but that just leads you back to Mo Salah. Like Mo maybe Salah, Mo Salah has, maybe has that'll unlock Mo Salah. The difference in, in yeah, these maybe that'll Manchester unlock City Liverpool Who games. Knows? But, you know, he hasn't been able to, you know, maintain that high level again this season. Maybe w- without the, you know, the, the concern of having to track back to help Trent, which I don't think he has really done that often anyway. Maybe with the freedom of having Gomez sitting back there and not venturing forward as much, Mo Salah has, you know, the, the, the leash fully off to go forward and, and wreak havoc. We just haven't seen it yet. So I, I, I'm i leaning towards like a an, another like monumental Manchester City win. I, I think it was two years ago. They beat Liverpool like 4-1 uh, at Anfield. I think we see something like that again. 4-1, maybe 3-1. I think I'll, I'll settle on a, a 3-1 for Manchester City. How about you? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll say two one Manchester City. I think it's a, a Manchester City win, and they go up two nil, um, and mostly see the game out, and then Liverpool rally at the end, maybe get a goal. Might even be like two nil. I don't even know if Liverpool score against the City side, but Liverpool have been f- scoring a lot of goals. So, all right. Well, uh, before we finish up here, uh, there is, or there was a. Uh, relegation six-pointer of sorts that went on uh, Saturday. Uh, I don't think we can Leicester, call it of sorts. It's definitely a relegation six-pointer. Well, I'm saying of sorts because, you know, Leicester are surprisingly down there and Bournemouth are surprisingly, you know, not down in the relegation zone and doing yeah, like, like, pretty well for themselves. Yeah, but like, don't trust anything Bournemouth do, man. Like, you know, like, they can I, I guess anytime. I, I guess, but, you know, they, they still, they've managed to do things like go to... Uh, Newcastle and get a draw, which you know, plenty of teams would would love that kind of result at Newcastle. Like Manchester City had to settle for that. That's, an, that's another grudge and, match we have Newcastle after what they did to us last season. Right, it all comes them. back to Arsenal, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. but but, but Bournemouth, Bournemouth, Bournemouth came back from one nil down against Leicester City. Pat Sendaka scored in the tenth minute. Uh, Bournemouth scored twice in three minutes in the second half. Uh, goals from Philip Billing and Ryan Christie. Uh, sealed a 2-1 win for the Cherries. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Billing's another been huge incredible for loss so for Leicester. Yeah, he has been. He's been excellent. He's been playing um, as like a as like a second striker. He played like up like alongside Dominic Solanke for this game. He just sort of floats around in whatever space the the striker like takes up, like uh, like occupying the defenders. He just floats wherever else there's space and. He's a nightmare, and he scored some. He scored some great goals this season in, in big games. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a great result, obviously for Bournemouth. They're now in eighth place on twelve points. So above you know, Liverpool. I mean, I mean, again, they're only like five points or uh, six points off of like the relegation places, which you know that's not that much, obviously, and it's very early in the season, uh, but. After sacking Scott Parker, I don't think many of us envisioned this for them. So, uh, big surprise from them, and an even bigger surprise that Leicester City couldn't take advantage of like the the good vibes that that uh, win against Nottingham Forest gained them last week. They played 
really well against Forest. It was at home. And you kind of expected them to just go down to Bournemouth and continue, uh, you know, that sort of that sort of form. But Bournemouth like played like James Madison like really tight, played like man marked him for most of the game and kept his influence as limited as possible. And then they took advantage of their opportunities when Leicester inevitably gave them to them. Leicester still have a lot of like a lot of chemistry to build like that, that face uh, center back they signed. I forget his first name, but he's a Belgian center back. They signed to replace Wesley Fafana. He's, he has like within one like single like play of a game, he'll do the best thing defensively. You've seen him do all game and then make a mistake and give the ball away or, or some, or some other defensive mistake, like five or 10 seconds later. So they need to try and like limit those uh, mistakes. And obviously they need to find like some sort of consistent production from players other than James Madison. And like they have some of those names like Harvey Barnes and Daka, but uh, they're just not producing consistently enough. And James, Jamie Vardy it does also doesn't look like he's going to go back to the old Jamie Vardy anytime soon. So it's up to players like Daka and Ian Aksho and Harvey Barnes really to get this Leicester season back on track. Like, do, do you think this is like a, an actual relegation threatened team at the moment? I mean, they're definitely relegation threatened. They've got to figure out their form. They can't be losing to teams like Bournemouth. So if as long as results like this keep happening, absolutely. You know, if they're losing to teams like Bournemouth that are going to be near the relegation zone at the end of the season, then they're going to be right in there with them. Nottingham Forest, that was a relegation six pointer as well. So they still only have four points, I think. Yeah, Leicester are currently bottom after Nottingham Forest got a point against uh, Aston Villa earlier today to put them up into 19th. But I guess you could say that about a lot of teams at the moment. You know, Wolves obviously are in the relegation zone at the moment. Southampton are just above it. Villa, there's a lot of questions being asked about Steven Gerrard and how long he's going to last at Aston Villa now. Even Palace haven't really had like the, the best start to their season. They only just got their second win uh, on Sunday against Leeds. Uh, but before that, they were still right down in that relegation discussion as well. So there's a lot to, to still happen. And uh, Leicester should obviously be concerned. But good, good for them that there's like plenty of games left to go. Because, th- again, they, more so than anyone else down in that bottom half of the table, they have the talent to be at least in mid-table. Like preferably, you'd think they would want to be up closer to the European spots. So we'll see how uh, Rogers figures that out, or if he doesn't and gets the sack, whoever else comes in will have a big job on their hands. Well, let's wrap things up there. Javier, thanks again for jumping on this one. I feel like we should have done something for episode 375. I feel like that's kind of a Every 25... Uh, like, no, we'll do 400. 400 will be a big one. Of course we'll do 400, but you know... 350, we did something. We should have done something for 375, but there's too much else to talk about, so uh, that's okay. We'll we'll uh, we'll think of something for episode 400. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can follow him at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at asmos92, and you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. If you're listening on iTunes or uh, well Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify, go ahead and leave us a rating and review. Those new ratings and reviews help new listeners to find the pod. And uh, other than listening to this thing, we'd really appreciate it if you guys could support the pod by helping us grow this thing a little bit. 
Enjoy the Champions League games this week and Premier League games next weekend. And until next time, see you.